This is Solve It for Kids. friends my name is jennifer the dean of all things stem and steam and this is solve it for kids the podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists engineers and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity cooperation and critical thinking and now please welcome to the show my podcast partner galactic space geek jeff ganya hello jennifer and hello listeners We get to go back to the animal world today, and I am excited when we talk about animals that everybody loves. I know, right? And then being in Florida, these are so cool. (laughs) What problem are we solving today? How do you study manatees? How do you study manatees? Oh, they're so beautiful. These beautiful, majestic animals. Who is our guest today, Jeff, to talk to us about this? Let's get right into it with our guest, the wonderful Beth Heidemann, the co-founder of GoToScience. Welcome to the show, Beth. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So the other part of Beth's esteemed career path is that for 25 years she was a kindergarten teacher so let's give her a hand deserves applause (laughs) thank you thank you but what i wanted to ask is what i always ask is did you always love science even as a kid how did you get to where you are now Oh my goodness. How did I get to where I am now? (laughs) Well, I do have some really early sciencey memories. My mom was like super, I was invested in the scientific method as a child. I decided Ah. one day, for example, that I wanted to know what would happen to various household things if they were left out to the air. So my mother let me take all of the cookie trays, lay out this giant grid and put samples of everything I could find and then lay it out on the dining room table and observe it for weeks to draw conclusions. And then fast forward to late high school, looking at what do I want to do with my life? And I realized what I wanted to do with my life is keep the curiosity and wonder that I saw in my four-year-old sister that I felt like got squished in me in high school. I didn't want that to turn (laughs) off. And so I decided to go into early elementary And while I was in the kindergarten room, I realized that kids are natural scientists and that I could teach every student in my classroom could be excited and full of wonder and engaged if we taught our core stuff right through the lens of science. And we spent time outside looking at nature and we spent time bringing scientists in. And I was a co-learner right along with them. We had Skype scientists come in before that was even a thing, just helping us understand the world around us. That sounds like a dream class, right, Jeff? It was pretty fun. <laughs> it, it does. I would go to class right now. Right. That's what we were doing. Yeah. I loved hearing you describe that even as a little kid, you laid everything out in a grid pattern <laughs> so that you could get effective results. What I want to know is along the way, just like you said, of as you get older into that, you know, middle school, high school, and college, you kind of lose that wonder uh-huh. for that. Did you lose that wonder or were you still that grid laying out high school student? You know, I had some bright spots in high school and one of them was my high school chemistry teacher. And he was just such an authentic and wonderful person that he definitely 
rekindled a dying ember in me that, yes. that I was getting turned off to all things school. Yeah. Um, and so I went well, to awesome. college looking to through. radically reinvigorate education. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then my college experience was also very, I had a very hands-on sort of real world science-y college experience, which was cool. Well, and I think hands-on science and, you know, if you've listened to the show, Jeff and I are definitely very big advocates of hands-on science, but that's the key to it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, now I will say science kids books have come a long way and they're very exciting, but it also doesn't replace being outside or, you know, looking through the telescope or getting your hands dirty and digging up stuff or making it, you know, digging something in your own backyard. So kind of like, how did you bring that into your kindergarten classroom? And then how did you like move that forward into go to science? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I ended up spending the second half of almost every year in probably the second half of my teaching career or more engaged in student driven projects. So if the kids were like really interested in, all right, I'll give you an example. I had a group of kids that was super into bugs. And I think the reason (laughs) they were super into bugs is because I had a hissing cockroach in my classroom And if any of them are listening now, I'm going to burst the bubble. I didn't actually love them or touching them. (laughs) So if if those students are listening and think back, they will realize that they were always the ones who were holding the hissing cockroaches when we were. Anyway, they were super passionate about insects. And we often did a fractured fairy tale unit. And so they decided that they wanted to retell the story of the three Billy Goats Gruff, but the main characters wow. were going to be insects wow. and the, and they wanted to cross the bridge because insects aren't bad. They're beneficial. And they wanted the insects to want to cross the bridge because the farmer's field on the other side of the bridge needed insect help. We wow. ended up Skyping no with um, integrated pest management specialists and entomologists with this group <laughs> of five. So cool. We had another student who was super excited about chickens. And so instead of having a troll, there was a chicken under the bridge. <laughs> Long story short, we ended up having various classroom insects to observe, and one of them was a darkling beetle, and they'd figured out how to weave all the five other insects we were looking at into the storyline in a way that made sense, which was sort of amazing to me that they pulled this off. But I'm like, well, the darkling beetle, we don't have to put them all in. Like, darkling beetles are kind of considered a pest. And they're like, no, find us an entomologist. Find us an expert. We need to talk to somebody. So we talked with an entomologist who happened to use the phrase about darkling beetles that they were chicken junk food. Well, that's all the kids knew. Uh, The the darkling beetle is going to lure the chicken out from under the bridge and save the day. And all the insects, they ended up crossing the bridge. So they wrote this tale of um, cooperation and integrated pest management as a group of five year olds. That is amazing. I can just picture that being a picture book on the shelf somewhere at the bookstore. we actually would always self-publish our work. And so that is available out in the internet. If you go to Blurb <laughs> and look up Miss V's class, it's still out there somewhere. Okay, nice. We're gonna have to do that. So you mentioned this group of students were sort of, this group was the bug lovers. Mm-hmm. Did you notice throughout your teaching career that students kind of came in waves of a lot of them would like the same things, whether it be bugs or the ocean or space. Absolutely. So we had 
a group that was all about composting and recycling. We had another group okay. that was about gardening and food equity and security. That group, I wanted to leave the classroom in tears of joy every day. They were the <laughs> kindest, <laughs> sweetest group of children I have ever met to this day. We had groups that were really interested in the arts. And so we would end up having visiting artists come in and we'd work the science in through doing things like fused glass projects and wow. things like that. So, you know, we just drew on whatever their interests were. We found experts to match and we went from there. That's fantastic. And That's awesome. Yeah. And so you asked how that morphed into go to science. And I really, you know, as a result of that work, I think I was recognized with the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching, which Con sort of- Congratulations. That's a very oh, big deal. That's a very big you. deal. Yes. Well, it was very shocking to me because I do not consider myself, and I don't think anyone would consider me a science content expert, but I do have a good five-year-old brain and I'm really good at asking questions. <laughs> so as part of the recognition events, the fine folks in Washington, D.C. said, great, nice, good job, pat on the head. Now do more. Bring this to a bigger <laughs> audience. Okay. What does that even look like? And I'd heard over the years, teachers like, oh, well, you can do that, but I can't do that. And so I wanted to find a way okay. to bring this sort of science inquiry and global education, because we'd have people virtually visit our classroom from all over. I wanted to find a way to make that accessible and bring it to classrooms. And so that's what we did with GoToScience. Yeah. So we work with scientists globally. We explore hypotheses around the globe. And I get to learn so much along the way. I mean, that's fabulous. And I think that's why, you know, Beth and I connected is because we kind of, we hope that this is what the podcast does. Now you do the video, we do the audio, but mm -hmm. we're, you know, we have similar goals, but what I want to ask you, what we want to talk about today is give an example of kind of what you're doing with GoToScience. So your question is, how do you study manatees? So oh. I'm guessing you're working on a project with manatees and our listeners would love to hear all about some of the things you've learned about those amazing creatures. Absolutely. Yes, we are currently working with manatees and we are investigating a hypothesis, but it started before that. We were doing some oh. research about manatees in Florida. There'd been some reports in the news about manatees having some issues. And so my partner and I, with our science brains, our inquiry brains, now he actually does have a real science background, so that's helpful because <laughs> he can steer us towards really reliable sources. <laughs> yes. But we noticed, we came upon the fact that this year, for the first time, there were over a million boats registered in the state of Florida. Whoa. And we knew that boat strikes have been an issue for manatees in yes, the past. They now, they have other... They have other challenges as well, but we yes. thought that was the particular challenge that was the kind of thing we could investigate with the age group we work with and go to science. And so we were trying okay. to figure out, well, how can we figure out if this is, as the number of boats go up, is this um, problem increasing? So we um, right. you know, read lots of journal articles and did all the research, and then we connected with a couple of different manatee experts. And one of them is Dr. Christy Acton. She is a manatee researcher in Gabon. Wow. And just like with all of okay. our research projects, we connect with a scientist who can be uh, our content area right. expert and help sure. us figure out what, what we need to do and how we need to investigate this. So Christy, talking with Curtis, my co-founder, decided that if we could go to Florida and observe manatees and we saw that half or more than half of them had boat strike scars, 
that oh, likely wow. the boat strikes were on the increase based on the historical evidence in the past, oh. based on the fact that we, from the methods that we would be able to use in the field, we were not going to see every single boat strike. We're right. Miss some right. right. And that we're really just doing a sample around the state. We came up with that percentage or that ratio. So, yeah. So then Christy is living in Gabon, working in Gabon with her community about manatee conservation there. And she's a brand new mother. So she sent us to Florida to do the research. Oh, nice. Okay. Very cool. So we've been in Florida checking out all sorts of locations. And so the students that we work with actually vote to direct the mission. And so they'll be like, oh, you should totally go to that location next. Or, you know, oh, we have more information. You should go over and look there this time. And so okay. we go to the various locations and we look for manatees. And then we do a simple survey. We're counting the manatees and tracking which one have visible boat strike scars and which ones do not. And at the okay. end, we'll calculate, well, actually our students will calculate that percentage or a fraction to decide if the hypothesis is supported or not. Wow. Okay. Talk about yeah. the scientific process in yeah. motion oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So definitely. When you say you go to a location and you find manatees, how close are you getting to them? And are you using like binoculars or small telescopes? Does if you can't get close enough Sonar. to be able to see the boat strikes? Yes. Okay. So great question. When we go to a location, we pre-selected, oh gosh, I don't know, 13 or 14 possible locations around the state okay. where we felt that we could get either from a viewing platform or from a slow moving boat, or in some cases actually in the water, that we would be able uh, to get close enough to the manatees mm. to film them with our SLR camera, our okay. GoPros, or our just our phone cameras so that we could capture that video. And then we can count in the field and then also go back and review the video that we share. Okay. Yeah. So it's possible that not all of our listeners are familiar with manatees. Can you tell us a little bit about the animals themselves? Oh my goodness. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're beautiful and majestic. I've seen them in zoos and so or aquariums and so forth. They're very, very sweet. Now I'm anthropomorphizing. That means I'm putting human emotions on (laughs) another animal. I don't actually know how the manatees (laughs) feel, but they certainly feel to me in interacting with them. Very, very sweet. And so manatees are huge marine mammals. They don't have blubber. Unlike whales, dolphins, porpoises, they don't have blubber, so they can only live where the water is pretty warm, like I think 71 degrees-ish. Okay, Um, right. Or if it's like a little bit cooler than that, it's a problem for them. It's actually dangerous to be in in cool water. So they have to go where there's warm water. That helps us find them in the field because we need to go to the places where there's warm water. On average, they're nine to 10 feet long, but they can get as big as like 14 feet. They're usually around a thousand pounds, but they can get even bigger. I mean, they can get really massive, like 3,500 pounds for a really, really big one. And they're just, they swim slowly. They're very gentle. That's one of the reasons boat strikes are an issue for manatees is because they need to come to the surface to breathe air. They swim slowly. So if a boat is zipping by, they just aren't necessarily going to move out of way in time. Right. Um, And so- you know, they're plant eaters. So they're eating 
Okay. Sea grasses mostly. So okay. that's another helpful thing for us as we're looking for manatees. We need to go to places where there's going to be warm water, there's going to be sea grasses, and they eat a lot. An average size manatee <laughs> is going to eat like 80 to 100 pounds of plant material each day. Um, wow. But a really big one can eat upwards of 200 pounds of oh, plant matter. Oh, that's a, a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of salad. Yes, it is a lot of salad. It is a lot. And oh, okay. So fun little aside, one of the places that we went to investigate manatees was actually a place where we could get in the water with them. Most places in Florida, that's not allowed. But in one specific area, we are allowed to enter the water with them. And there's a bunch of rules to protect them that are in place. But it was amazing to be underwater with the manatees hearing them chew, 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 chew. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. That's cool. Didn't even think that you could hear them chew underwater. Oh my gosh. Just so much munching. And then (laughs) think about, all right. So what do you think is going to happen if a manatee is eating all of this plant matter? What's eventually going to happen? It's going to go out the other end. And we caught it on film. Good way of saying that, Jeff. (laughs) Goes right through. Lots of fiber. So <laughs> circle of life. There you yes, go. Exactly. Oh so that we also wow. got to swim with manatees while they In were, the you know, finishing the digestion process. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <Go mad. laughs> so can you tell us a little about how manatees became the topic or subject of this next project? Mm-hmm. Well, it really just, I mean, the way that we choose our projects is we just like when I was in the classroom, we followed student interests. We okay. think about what the kids are interested in. And honestly, we think about what we're interested in. And mm-hmm. we were just manatees kept coming up in the news and up in the news. And yes. we oh, just got really okay. curious. And I learned about, we'd worked with a student who was super, super interested in manatees, like obsessed with manatees, which got me curious. Yes. And the more curious I got, the more I learned. And before we knew it, we're just like, yeah, this is totally... This is something that we can investigate. And there's, I mean, we have more questions and interests than we will ever be able to investigate in our lifetimes. So one of the things that we have to do is think, all right, can we gather data that you can observe through a video? Can we gather data that needs to be analyzed in a way that students, you know, as young as five years old can work with that data? That helps influence what we do too. So- Can you tell us a little bit about, like, did you ever find manatees that were seriously injured or injured to the point that they needed help? Because I know there are organizations in Florida that do that. And if so, did you kind of connect them or let people know that, that they, you know, manatees would need help or whatever? Yeah, I feel really fortunate in that all of the manatees we spotted had wounds that had healed. We didn't see okay. any super duper fresh wounds. We That's did see good. some pretty chopped up tails, but the manatees seemed to be functioning oh. pretty well. We've seen calves with boat strike marks. You know, in one of these locations where we could swim with manatees, I can see why that activity is limited because the manatees, I kind of think of them as like golden retriever puppies of the sea. <laughs> they <laughs> we got analogy. in the water. And they swam right to us because in this particular location, one of the rules is if the manatee touches you first, you can use one hand to rub its belly. 
Well, okay. they okay. came right. I can say I've been kissed by a manatee. Come up, put its nose right on oh, my face. Like, nice. come on, do the petting thing. And they'll bring its flipper to keep, okay. you know, if I was done rubbing, they're like, no, 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 we're not done. Oh, no, you're not. oh just like, probably, the dog, like, like my yeah. uh, great Pyrenees does to me with her big gigantic claw. I am not done with you yeah. petting me. Wow. That's right. <laughs> and I actually had an experience with one manatee who didn't want me to finish petting it because it I was rubbing its belly and then it used its flipper to put my hand back on its belly and then I started to <laughs> swim away because I'm like I'm here to film all of these manatees we're supposed to be collecting data sorry manatee I'm working and um that manatee would hear nothing of it so it swam underneath me lifted me gently to the surface and back down again and then came around it's like no do the petting thing <laughs> like, all right <laughs> do some more petting so they definitely I think can very quickly become habituated to humans. And of right. course, if they get into the habit of swimming up to boats, the, the boat strike issue is going to just be worse. So I, yes. I think it's as incredible and special as it was to be able to swim with manatees. I'm very, very grateful that that is not a widespread practice. I don't think it's good for them. No. Wow. So how long of a project is this? How many different locations? Will you be going to? And at what point, like, when do you decide how much data is enough? Right. Oh, great question. So with our go-to science projects, we always run our projects for six weeks, and that includes 12 episodes. And they tell the story of how we get to the location. So in this case, we drove from Maine to Florida. And so that's a long trip. My daughters have done that. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we're not just talking about manatees because scientists aren't, don't have blinders on. They are excited about all the things around them. So we can talk about how it, within three days, we went from needing parkas and hats and in the snow to be wanting flip-flops and shorts in Florida <laughs> and how the vegetation changed. So we chronicle that trip. We do other activities as well. So in some of our international locations, we'll do school visits in Florida you know, we'll taste new things. We found a fruit market and tasted cacao pod. They had a cacao pod for sale at a roadside fruit market. Mm, okay. We bought that. And one of the things we do during this mission is we make chocolate from the cacao pod. It was hey, fascinating. I, uh, I was going to say, what did that taste like? Yeah. It tasted, well, it tasted like chocolate. It was a little gritty because yes. we didn't okay. grind it as much as like know, the commercial producers do. Yeah. And it sure. definitely gives me a new appreciation when I'm in the grocery store. I'm like, yeah. I will pay you that money for that piece of chocolate because now I know <laughs> how long that takes and how I got just, you know, mediocre results after like four days we worked on this project making chocolate. Obviously, we don't run the film for four days. We show the highlights and right. the students were so fascinated. And then we tasted it in front of them. It's like, all right, so how does it taste? I'm like, mm, I like chocolate, but gritty. You know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pass the water. Pass the water. <laughs> yeah. So are you able to share with us some of the things that you learned about manatees on this project and, you know, whether your hypothesis was proven or not? Because I would imagine if you do a true scientific investigation, it's not mm -hmm. always proven, right? Right, right. It is not always proven. And some of our adventures, we don't collect enough evidence to support the hypothesis. But in this case, we did end up seeing... In this case, more than half the manatees we saw did end up having boat strike scars. Okay. So that would support our hypothesis in this case. And the things that I learned about manatees, in addition to boat strikes being an issue, 
you know, there's an issue with manatees having enough food right now. That's a more complex issue. It has to do with agricultural runoff, which is creating, there's too much fertilizers and things like that are ending up in the water system. So then there are these algae blooms, which present, prevent enough sunlight from getting to the seagrasses to photosynthesize. So manatees are starving because they're, I mean, you think of all those different steps, like, all right, pesticides on a crop inland Florida ran into a river, ran into the ocean. Or a lawn because Mm. yeah, we'll we'll just leave that there or a lawn. Or a lawn. Yes. (laughs) Having spent a good amount of time in Florida now. Yeah. Yes. The lawn thing is definitely an issue. So, you know, we learned about other issues like that. But for me, the big takeaways are like understanding manatee mannerisms, knowing Uh, why, you know, after observing them, oh yeah, you definitely don't want to be, I mean, one of the regulations is don't sprinkle fresh water off of your pier to attract the manatees. They'll want to drink it. You, we really need to be mindful of the way that we interact with manatees. We don't want to encourage them to come to people because it's very easy to habituate them to humans. And that just causes all sorts of troubles for them. And so as much as they're adorable and I just want to hug them and squeeze them them all the time. No. So that I also learned that manatees, you know, with that digestion and with filming the manatee, you know, going to the bathroom, right in the water, there's a lot of gas too. So that's like when a manatee is swimming along, it can pass gas for a super long time and <laughs> just like a little <laughs> bubble trail. So it's actually a good way to, to look for manatees. The fluke print, uh, um, you can see a mark on the surface of the water okay. um, where it's pushed its tail down or a trail of bubbles. And then you're like, all right, follow the trail of bubbles. There's the manatee. <laughs> Interesting trivia question. Yes. Best way to find a manatee. So when you're coming to the end of a project like this, when you have all of this data, whom do you share this data with? So we call them our go-to scientists, the kids who are involved with us in go-to science, either through our website or our YouTube channel can share with us their evaluation of the hypothesis. So we count on them to evaluate the data. And if they're on our website, they can publish it right on our website, or they can put it on social media and tag us. And then we in turn share that with the scientists and give feedback to the classroom. So we really are closing that whole loop of doing the scientific method, you know, starting with a question, doing our research, formulating a hypothesis, testing that hypothesis. Uh The students are really evaluating the evidence that's collected and doing the publishing in some form or another, sharing that work. And we always say, if you share what you learn, we all learn more. Oh, I love that. Love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you said earlier to me that this is your 11th mission. Can you give me like the top, your top three favorites of all the ones you've done? Because I know there are other ones besides manatees. Top three favorites. All right. So one of them was actually not heavily centered on wildlife. It was centered on a real world problem, which was, I know a teacher in Kenya, his name is Livingstone and his students were having a problem. They did not have a source of safe, reliable drinking water. And so we worked with a hydrologist to come up with our hypothesis that there would be a safe, reliable drinking water source under that school that we thought Ah. that we could test through doing resistivity tests and other measures that we thought we could find safe water. So we actually did a crowdfunding campaign so that if we did find the water, we could do something about it. And we've been able to install a well in that community. It serves the whole community. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Wonderful. Not only is it solving the 
safety of water drinking problem, but also it's, you think of, instead of having to walk two kilometers each direction each day to collect your water, it's right at the school. All the people in the immediate area have access to that well. And they use that in not just their drinking water and bathing water, but also watering their livestock it's a farming community, so they are wow. able to irrigate their crops some and wow. also building. They build their homes from Huge the effect. soil. Yeah, right. so it's it's like, it's amazing. So that was, and we got to live with the family and eat the food and, you know, just really be part of the community while we were there. So that was really cool. I also loved going to Australia. We investigated. Oh, who wouldn't? Um, yes, it was <laughs> That's great. on my list to visit. It was super great. We were looking at, our hypothesis was that, well, I'm trying to remember how we worded it. We were looking at the ratio of babies to adults to see if the population was growing faster than the environment for, would support. For what animal? Kangaroos? For kangaroos. For kangaroos. Oh, yeah. okay. Super fun. Did you get to hang out with some kangaroos? We did get to hang out with some kangaroos. In that <laughs> oh, case, we actually got awesome. to join our consulting scientist in the field and help her as she would tranquilize kangaroos. She was also working on kangaroo population growth. So she was checking wow. inside pouches to see, are there baby joeys? We got to look in the pouch, see if there's a baby oh, girl, take some measurements. It really struck me that she was so thoughtful about the way she interacted with the animals and was really took the time to wait with the animal to make sure that the tranquilizer had completely worn off and the animal wasn't going to like trip and fall and run into a tree or something because they yeah. were a little a little goofy at first. Um, so that was a great one. And then, oh my goodness, there are so many great ones. But I, I would say going to Thailand to look for a resident tiger population is pretty incredible. Wow. Wow. Sharing that mission with students this spring and also sharing a school visit. So I Ooh, always love very cool. being schools in other countries. It's incredible. I could go Excellent. on. Whichever mission I'm doing tends to be my favorite at the time. Yes, I believe it. <laughs> and well, and it, the ones you just described and including the manatees really kind of takes some of my coolness out of this question. Do you have a dream project that Ooh. you would like to go work on? Oh my gosh. Well. All right, we'll throw it out there because maybe it will happen. Okay. Space, space. Okay, Jeff to has to go with you. Space. He already wants to go. I could see yeah. that. And we've been talking with some groups. We haven't quite figured out how to make it work yet, but there's a group working on zero carbon balloon that mm-hmm. will sit at the outer edge of the mm-hmm. space. And so they're, you know. Maybe, maybe. So that's that's sort okay. of the dream is like to do one that's completely, literally out of this world. I love it. And soon there will be more ways for regular people to get up there. Yeah. So or, keep holding or on to that dream. When Fabian yeah. Cousteau gets his Proteus mission, he has a research area that he's working on to build underneath the ocean. You can go under the ocean. That so would be at, incredible yeah. too. Go look up, because go look up Proteus. It's amazing. So you I could totally go under will. the ocean. Yeah. I should have put on my list of favorites, the Galapagos Islands, because I learned to snorkel there. There I you go. I haven't ever done that. And life under the ocean is so incredible. Yes. So, yeah, it's, that would be there really too. Cool. Okay. So now my list of, play, of <laughs> dream projects is getting longer. Excellent. 
Well, we are at that time in the show where we ask you to give our listeners a challenge. What challenge do you have for our listeners, Beth? Aha. All right. Well, we've been doing a manatee survey in Florida by looking at manatees in different locations and noting how many have boat strike scars, which are easily recognized. They're usually white slashes of some sort. You can see a manatee that has not been hit by a boat is a nice, even sort of grayish or brownish color without any markings. Mm -hmm. If they've got those markings, usually they're from boat strikes. So we went out into the field. However, there are some really great tools available to everybody, no matter where you are. And that is Save the Manatee has manatee cams, live manatee cams. And I've taken to just putting it on my screensaver if I'm not doing so I can just, (laughs) oh, there goes one. So our challenge is for the listeners to go to one of those manatee cams and conduct their own manatee survey, tracking how many manatees they see there with and without boat strike scars. And then because the whole point of doing science is sharing what you learn, share that information. They can share it with go to science social media channels or your solve it social media channels. You know, if they tag you or they tag us, we're likely to see it. And we would very much love to share that with our scientist in Gabon. She would love to know that kids all over are doing this research and keeping an eye on it. And then hopefully you'll be motivated to maybe take some action. If not with manatees, think about what in your area might need help. We do surveys of different animals all over the world. And, you know, there are actions that you can take right in your own backyard around water quality or environmental care. So, you know, let your mind go with this. Start with a manatee survey and and follow your passions. I love that. That sounds great. So share with us your social media tag for GoToScience. Yes, we are at GoToScience on Twitter, Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook as well. G-O, the number two, science. And what is your YouTube channel? Our YouTube is also GoToScience. So (laughs) we're pretty pretty easy to find. Um, (laughs) Yes. This has been a fantastic conversation. Yes, I really I enjoyed yeah, learning all about everything that GoTo Science does. Thank you so much for being on Solve for Kids, Beth. Thank you, Beth. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so much fun. I am betting after this episode, sales of plush manatees are going to go up. Because <laughs> how do you not love manatees? And how do you not want to get involved? especially with this challenge when we can go to their website and actually watch videos and collect data ourselves just as if we were a manatee scientist. I know. I love that. You know, it's really funny too is we taped this episode a little while ago, but since then I've gone to an aquarium and I've looked at the manatees (laughs) and that was the thing I was looking for to see if they had boat strikes or anything like that that injured them. And you know, that's a really important thing, especially as I said in the beginning about living in Florida. If you are with your parents or if you drive a boat, be aware of the manatees. They don't move very fast. (laughs) So move the boat out of the way. Don't try to get the manatee to move out of the way. Please. But 
If any of you have cool pictures of manatees or you learn anything about them, be sure to share them with us. Just tag us on our social media. We are at KidSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to go to our website page, SolveForKids.com. For this episode, we'll have information about GoToScience and, of course, some cool videos about manatees there, right? Absolutely. And this may be a manatee hole that we all dive down because we are going to be watching these videos for a while. <laughs> definitely. But for sure, if you do this challenge, we definitely want to see a screenshot or we definitely want to know that you have done this because our challenges are important so that the scientists know that their work is getting out and touching yep. people like you and I. So exactly. until next time, you will hear Jen and Jeff on Solve, Solve It, it for, for Kids. kids.